Welcome everybody to episode 44 of Chelsea Against the World, the podcast that brings together an American and an Englishman to discuss all things Chelsea Football Club. I'm your host Manny. And I'm your host Simon. Manny, episode 44 and we are coming off the back of a penalty shootout win. Man, first of all, what incredible penalties yeah. by all of our players. You know, I mean, even in Cuckoo coming in off the bench and just slamming it into the top left corner, incredible pen. And then Petrovic. You know, we, we've heard so much about his shop-stopping ability in the MLS, but it was on show during the penalties yesterday. I mean, he was even guessing right. He was like inches away from saving a couple other shots. Yeah, he's been scouted as being a very good penalty saver, isn't he? So usually we have a bit of chit-chat at the beginning of the episode, but I think both of us are still buzzing from the victory last night that we wanted to just get straight into the game. Yeah, you know, it was one of those situations. Uh, I think we had, I think we called the lineup right on. We knew that it was we going to revert to the back four, but we saw when the lineup came out last week, um, you know, again, Colwell and DeSassi in your fullback position, Silva pairing up with uh, Badia Shiel, Petrovic in goal, obviously, given Sanchez's injury. Three-man midfield, um, Enzo coming in. He had a little break on the last game, comes in with Gallagher and uh, Caicedo. Your top three, Sterling, Palmer, Jackson. No Mudrick. Again, Enzo for Mudrick times change. And we thought this is what's going to happen. Some stability in the back four. And I was I was okay with it, I guess. Uh, again, Twitter was a little bit upset about the lack of having fullbacks on the pitch. But I think it's important to have that continuity with the new goalkeeper. But, uh, yeah, within the first three or four minutes, we saw uh, mistakes. I mean, this is, you know, I always talked about how important VAR is in our game. But in this game, we were so God, lucky. Got away with it. We were so lucky without yeah. VAR because that was a red card by Caicedo. Oh, yeah. It was a terrible I mean, it was, challenge. It was a bad challenge right on uh, uh, Gordon's uh, Achilles. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it, was a, it was a brutal, brutal challenge. And if I was, if, I mean, if the roles were reversed, I would have been irate. And he injured him properly. Yeah, he, he did. He had to come out. Such a shame. Um, and it's interesting, actually, because going back to your point about Twitter burning down when this lineup gets released, I feel that happens with every single yeah. Chelsea game. Really, it's like, it's something ingrained in the Chelsea social media space to find something to complain about before anything has happened. And I'm just like, I'm all for complaining afterwards. I get it. That's fine. But like, the crystal balls of these people to to find out Something that's wrong before anything has even happened, and the fact that you don't, ha- you have no idea what's going on in the training, you know, the training center. I mean, we didn't know that Enzo was sick, and we have yeah. no idea if it's athletic pubalgia or if it's you know having some sort of gastrointestinal issue or the flu or whatnot. He just said that he didn't feel well, and they took him out. Yeah. You know, and it's just one of the situations. Like I, I try to stay away. I, I mean, obviously I'm on Twitter because you have to be engaging with you know, with media and whatnot, but also you want to know what the lineup is and that's when it gets first released. Uh, and um, yeah, right when you see the replies, you know, terrorism football by Poch again and so this crazy. and that or whatever. And, and I was like, no, this is, this is, this, I mean, anybody with a sense of brain would realize this is a lineup he has to put out. Yeah. With a new goalkeeper, with with two fullbacks that haven't actually gotten in the game that much since they came back from injury, both Matson and, uh, and Gusto. Gusto. It's just one of the situations, just like, you know, We've won twice with this back four. Let's keep playing with it against a Newcastle team that in themselves have been facing some injury crisis as well and have had a run of games as well and who's had really actually pretty bad poor away form this year. They've been really bad on the road and we'll talk about them in a bit. But this is the thing I implore for Chelsea fans is like, I'm all for complaining afterwards. You can. But beforehand, 
wait until something happens. Like the negativity in our space at the moment. The team is like in the trenches anyway, as we said last time. But now we're at the point where it's just like, it feels the negativity happens without anything even happening. And I feel that as a fan base, we have to do better than that. We have to support this team and the players, whether you like what's happening or not. Just get behind the team to begin with and then rant about it afterwards. I think that's that's our role as fans. And when you saw our lineup and you saw the first, you know, what, 10, 15 minutes, what did you think about Chelsea in that first part of the first half? I think we started quite brightly. Honestly, I think we dominated the game from minute one. We just fucked up defensively for their goal. Yeah. Like for the rest of it, we were very, very comfortable. I don't think we were particularly electric, but Newcastle's ambition in the game was so low that it really, it was only ever going to come from a mistake if they were going to score. They showed nothing. And I thought we started quite brightly. I think Caicedo, after that initial terrible tackle, I thought was unbelievably good. I know people talk about Conor Gallagher being the man of the match. I think Caicedo was literally everywhere. That's two games in a row. They both were. They yeah. both were. I mean, that, that, yeah. that two-man pivot, we thought it would be Enzo and Caicedo, but Enzo and Connor is an incredible two-man pivot that we're playing with. It reminded me of when we had Kovic and Jorginho in their, in their heyday, right? They were yeah. able to bounce off the passing and also were pretty good at the counter-pressing, and that's what you see with Connor and Caicedo right now. They're doing very well in that double pivot and letting Enzo run a little bit more advance. Yeah, and so the goal, I mean, it was just a catalogue <sighs> of errors. Yeah. I was made this point, because I was at the bar with the, everyone watching the game yesterday, and I made the point, it's just like, do we ever just concede a normal goal? Yeah. Does it have always have to be a catalogue of fuck-ups? Yeah. Because that's what it, that was. That was the most Chelsea goal that you could ever see to be conceded. Like, Cole Will's terrible pass back to Baddy Shield and Thiago Silva who got themselves in a mess and Baddy Shield just, I don't know what he did. Just, just a blunder, like, man. Another yeah. Baddy Shield blunder. Yeah, there mean, was a, everyone was blaming Baddy Shield for it, but Colwell's pass was absolutely it was awful. And it, dreadful. Kai Saito had no chance of getting to that ball when Cole was putting back into him. And then Kai, you know, obviously, you know, good on Callum Wilson. He did what he could in a two versus one situation. And Thiago, I thought, was able to get the ball kind of past him and giving Baddy Shield some space. But you can just see it just awkwardly fell into the wrong foot right into Callum Wilson. And, you know, actually, even him having that 1v1, it, it was actually a pretty impressive goal because I think Petrovic actually had a pretty pretty good angle yeah. at that last second, but Callum Wilson put it to where he can get to, and it was a good goal. Yeah, he's a decent striker, and to be honest, he fed off scraps yesterday. There was yeah. Newcastle created absolutely I think they, were, they, they really, really were missing Isak in, in that game because I think when him and Callum Wilson are up to up top together, there's a little bit more interplay between them two. Um, they were just they're they're missing some players, but so are we. So yeah, I have no, no sympathy exactly. for them whatsoever, and we'll talk about that in a bit. And, when my and, my further ideas about Newcastle. So as, as we were down. Yeah, sorry, we were down one goal, and this is the thing that I actually was appreciative about this team. We weren't sort of in 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 the ducks in this one. Like we actually okay, we got back into it, and there were points in that first half that you can see Sterling just like energized and was doing really well in the box and had a couple chances to score yeah I think he did well in that first half I don't think he tailored off in the in the second half but the substitutions worked and yeah, yeah I think we had enough opportunities in that first half a great goal line clearance and Bruno Guimaraes who we'll talk about again later <laughs> in the game as well but yeah the chances were coming I, I thought to myself I was like I, I see us get back into the game I think that when you go one nil down at home in the way that we do I'd rather it happen early when it happens, that killer blow in the second half, like 60 minutes in where you've got 30 minutes to get back into it, I think we approached the game with quite a bit of calmness after that. And even though we didn't create a huge amount in the second half in particular, I always thought we were going to get back into it at some point. 
If you take a look at the top six traditionally, every every game that we've been down and go against them, whether it's Liverpool, Tottenham, even UCAS the first first game, and then even with Man U at a way, we were able to claw back a goal. It's just after that goal, what happens, you know? Yeah. And then we traded in blows with Man City, went ahead against Arsenal. They came back and won, got destroyed by Man U, got destroyed by Newcastle. It didn't help that we had a man sent off. So it was. It's, it's important to get that first goal back, you know, but also it's important to do what we can after that. And luckily we got the first goal back in the 91st minute. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter when it comes. Exactly, it right? when, when it comes. I think... Yeah, I was the the main frustration I had when going into the second half was the fact that it took Pochettino a longer time than necessary to ch- make the changes. So I think Gusto came in. I thought Gusto was my man of the match. To be honest, I thought he was utterly sensational in that second half. First of all, playing on the left left back position, which is just such a Pochettino thing to do, isn't it? Really, and immediately when he came on, the threat came down from the yeah. left. Which hasn't happened when Colwell plays at left back because he's playing out a centre back at left back. I mean, when I saw it right away, I saw that this is what I mean. He came in and he was just taking them to school on that side. Even Almiron and uh, and, and Millie, they couldn't do anything with no. him on that side. And he was controlling that side. He was linking up really well with Mudrick when Mudrick came in on that side yeah. as well. It's when he got shifted to the right and Ian Matson came in to the left side. I thought we lost some of that fervor there on the left side. You think so? Yeah, I, actually think- I, I didn't think Matson. I think I think Matson. I, th- I don't know if it was a great cameo for him in that left fullback position. I can see why maybe he's not starting over the likes of Cucurella and when he was yeah. injured or even Cole was playing over him just based on his lack of situational positional awareness. I didn't think he had the best of games. I thought that he was, you know, I think you have two quick people there, two young individuals, him and Mudrick, they are not in tune in my opinion. Interesting. My interpretation is completely different to yours. This is why we disagree, right? Uh, so going back to the, the to the first part of the second half when Gusto was on the left, you saw the exact opposite happen what usually happens when we play a centre back in the full back position. Nothing went down the right with Disassi when Gusto was play, being played down the left. And it was interesting, Cole Palmer was Disassi was open so many times and Cole Palmer was in possession a few times and I noticed it, just wouldn't give him the ball because he knew that's where the attack would die. And it's really a problem for Pochettino to solve, which is why he needs to start playing fullback to fullback because our attack becomes so top-heavy to one side. No matter who, who's playing which position, if there's a centre-back playing in the fullback position... It just kills that attack down the left. And especially when you're chasing a game against a team who were the, in the lowest of low blocks, you need that overlap from the wing, uh, from the fullbacks, and it just wasn't coming. I think the counterpoint to that, and I agree with you, that at some point we have to get, we, we need, first of all, we need healthy fullbacks. You know, that's that's the first and foremost thing. Gusa coming in, I think, once he gets these, these minutes in this game and the next one, I think he'll start starting on that right side. We also need better distribution from our center backs. And you kind of saw it a little bit about yesterday. Batty Shield, even though he made that blunder in the first five or ten minutes, he was great afterwards and yeah. was actually picking out really incredible passes deep into the midfield, either if it was to Nico Jackson or to Gallagher or to Caicedo, and bypassing their their their, their midfield. That's something that he can do, and that's something that Colwell can do when he plays in that left center back position. Yeah, we need dist- better distribution from our center backs, not playing out in the back to our center to our uh, defensive mid. But actually, finding those long balls deep into our into our wingers or into our centre backs. I think that's an excellent point, and this is why, when Thiago Silva finally finishes with us, whenever that is, if that's the end of the season, end of next season, because it's going to happen, he's nearly forty years old. In my mind, it has to be Colwell and Badashir as the starting centre backs because their passing is so good, and Colwell, 
is playing out of position at the moment, and I feel that Badia Shiel might be unsettled by the fullback next to him as well. I really, I feel that that is something that could be happening psychologically with him, and that's why we're seeing the odd mistake from him when he wasn't. He was one of our very few good players last season. But anyway, so yeah, when Matson came on, I actually thought maybe he didn't play great, but it created more balance. And then we saw Christopher Nkunku play for Chelsea in a regular game for the first time. And he, I feel that the team changed as soon as he came on. The shape looked better. I think it put more pressure on Newcastle too. They had like, oh my God, where's this guy coming? He's all over the pitch. Yeah. They had no way of knowing where to, who to mark him. Stay with Cole. Yeah. What, what, what are we doing here? You know, and Mudrick's moving so fast on this left side. They were sort of lost in the yeah. backside. And, that, and it came with that goal. Trippier had no idea what was going on. Yeah, yeah. He just wanted to clear it wherever he could out. He tried to hit it back to the goalkeeper and he make it there and Mudrick... And, that was, and that's the point of what we talked about in the last podcast as well. His mere presence changes everything because you know that he's accomplished. You know he's com- composed on the ball. He didn't have that many touches. There was one particular touch that he laid onto Brozier, which I just thought that was... It was hit at him at like 100 miles an hour and he just cushioned it brilliantly and just set him up perfectly. And credit to Pochettino, the changes worked. I think they came a bit too late, but maybe they didn't because we won the game by penalties. But... Mudrick, I thought, was excellent when he came on again. I think he's coming on leaps and bounds. I actually think Brozier did all right when he came on as well. He was really creating a presence up top. I know he looks a bit scrappy from that injury, but I think he did well too. Brozier, to me, is an individual that if we do go and sign and start another striker in the junior tra- in January transfer, that's something that could actually do well with a good loan spell in a mid-table yeah. team. I mean, obviously, we're a mid-table yeah. team. Also. <laughs> One place below us. Yeah. Another mid-table <laughs> team, right? <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, I mean, maybe like Fulham with, you know, playing with uh, what's his name off of the, the Mexican striker that Fulham has yeah. right now, you know, interchanging with him. Um, I think that he, his, his talent is still there. He's very, he's still raw though. You know, he's find himself offside, you know, he's making runs or not looking at him when he's making runs. That stuff will come at some point. Yeah. I'm excited though. Once in Cuckoo kind of gets into his play to get him link up with Jackson, like they did in the preseason, I think that's going to be incredible. It just changed the dynamic of the team. We looked like the preseason Chelsea as soon as in Cuckoo came on, and Sterling should have laid a better pass onto him. And he had an opportunity to score, but let's talk about the equaliser. Yeah, what a moment that was. I think yeah. even I was optimistic that we were going to score. It, it, the clock was running down, but God, the bridge when that when those kind of last minute goals happen. I don't think there's any louder ground in England, to be honest. The noise just from the rafters and like the smashing of the boards. Yeah. Everyone went mental. It was amazing. It's great. And I mean, credit for Mudrik and that speed that we talked about him, That the Ukrainian bolt. I mean, he saw the blunder by Trippier and he grabbed that ball very quickly. And, and actually, he put it put it in a great spot to score. Yeah. I mean, it could be easy. How many how many times have we seen goalkeepers make mistakes at a, against us, but we haven't capitalized? Yeah. Palmer's had chances. Sterling's had chances. Jackson's had stanches. Whenever uh, opponent goalkeepers have made plenty of mistakes. This is the first time Mudrik was there for uh, for a mistake by a center back, and he put it right where it's supposed to be, and we scored. I'm so happy for him. And the thing is, is what, that was uh, that was more of a signature moment than his goal against Arsenal, because I think there's the debate whether he intended it against Arsenal. Not really a debate. He didn't. Yeah, he did not intend it. Come on. That was brilliant improvisation from the situation. Trippier made the mistake. He leapt on it quickly and finished it in an area where the goalkeeper couldn't get it in a high pressure situation in a moment of thought to do it. And I was just, I thought it was sensational. 
what a moment that was amazing loved it and then, um, then after that goal we had a spectator run on the pitch <laughs> and try to set one in on, on the newcastle goalkeeper it's pretty funny yeah a Chelsea reputation kicking yeah, in there it's like yeah there, there's times and places but now you've got a permanent ban from the bridge sorry buddy yeah probably didn't probably not worth it for a league yeah. cup game is it um so then we hit to the penalties as you said just four of the greatest penalties you'll ever see scored yeah i mean especially from gallagher and cuckoo top bin you can't save that yeah i mean coming at such a fast pace accurate just incredible incredible yeah. and then you know obviously connor i mean uh cole palmer put it in the in the, bo- the bottom right right outside the keeper's touch i mean that's like the best place to put it as well and then mudrick shimmy left corner boom yeah and then Petrovic got his moment. Yeah, I mean, he was guessing right. I think I think all of them, except for the Bruno G goal, he was guessing the correct way. And then Trippier, oh my God. I mean, you know, you're an English international fan, and you've seen the Trippiers, the ups and downs of him playing in the Euros and the World Cup in current form as well. What's going on with him? He's a loser. <laughs> That's what exactly what he is. He's born from Tottenham. <laughs> Went to play for Atletico, didn't do anything there, and he plays for a team that is, I'm going to talk about Newcastle, who are just the most underwhelming team in the world, in my view, and I will talk about them in a more bigger context shortly, but I don't buy the tiredness argument with him, I think he's just, he's an average footballer, who does really good at set pieces, I think, fuck him. Do you think he's not a fir- uh, first or second choice fullback for the English national no team? No way, he shouldn't be going to Especially the Especially with the injuries right now they're facing with Rhys James and Chilwell. Honestly, Shaw, England, Walker. England have a st- like a stack in the fullback position. Really are like if you look at some of the players that like Southgate tries out and the young players coming through. No, I don't. I don't rate him anymore. I used to think he was very good. But going back to Petrovic, I think people are probably clamouring for him to be our new number one off last night and the game against Sheffield United. Where are your thoughts on Petrovic? I still, I think, I mean, obviously I think shop stopping wise, I would still need to steal a bit more because I think he's only faced what one or two shots on target in the last two games. Let's be honest. He hasn't getting peppered like Sanchez has in previous games. I want to see more of that. You know, as we move forward right now with our schedule, we're going to be playing a lot of teams on low block. He may not have that opportunity yet until maybe January, but in terms of penalties, I think it's, he's, he, he has to be in that situation where, Kind of like Nashville SC, you bring in Panico. If something yeah. happens, if you get in penalties, right? Sanchez starts, you bring in Petrovic in for penalties. I mean, he's he's known to be incredible at penalties, yeah. like we did with Kepa back in you know, a couple of years ago. Listen, I think he's done well. I think it's, as I agree with you, it's far too early to tell if he's the solution long term. We've played, as you've alluded to, we played against two teams in the last week who've showed literally zero ambition to attack us. And very under different very circumstances that Sanchez was highlighted in the last few games where we were given the ball and told to play out the back and we had high press against our defenders and the goalkeeper. He hasn't dealt with that yet. I don't think we can judge who's the better goalkeeper long-term for Chelsea to have seen it. I've been very optimistic by the start, but I think it's more out of Sanchez dislike and confirmation bias. But also, also not forget that Sanchez made a great penalty save against Manchester United yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And he's actually made incredible saves in other teams. We could have been actually worse in our goal differential had we had Kepa in at certain points yeah. you know, of, of the season. But I'm not here to say is Petrovic better than Sanchez, Sanchez better than Petrovic. I need to see a little bit more data before I can make that Exactly, opinion. yeah. I get behind him for sure, but it's too early to tell. 
So who was your man of the match? Mine was Gusto, as we've alluded to earlier. Yeah. Who would you say? You know, I'm, I'm, I was sort of thinking about this while we were recording or even beforehand. I mean, I have three that I want to really sort of pinpoint that did really well. One of them was Gusto, actually, even though he came in the second half. He, looked, he was phenomenal. The other two was uh, Connor Gallagher and, and Caicedo. I think them two controlling the midfield was incredible, especially against a team like Newcastle when you have no idea if they're going to be sitting back or going at you, right? And as much as we harp on Bruno G, he's actually not a bad midfielder. He's, no, a, pretty he's, good, very he's good. a very good midfielder. And being able to control the game from him and Miley, who's actually done really, really well the last couple of games, and uh, and Longstaff, you know, he's missed all worth of a Newcastle uh, Academy product. It was, it was, it was incredible. And, and, you know, and being able to have that tactical flexibility of bringing Enzo out of the game and bringing another player into the game and still not relinquishing that midfield because of them two being just relentless all the pitch, I think... It have to be one of them too, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Connor Gallagher. Fair, yeah. I think it's number. Yeah, I think all three. There's, and there's no English bias. That's an American bias. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> no, I, I would go with Connor. Yeah, I think he did very well again. And and, and I'm kind of adding that into the, his penalty. I mean, he had a great take in the penalty. You yeah, know, and being captain and being that pressure and being able to score a top pin penalty is pretty impressive. Yeah, I did. He did very very well again, and I think actually that partnership with Caicedo is is linking up well and. We'll see this tougher tests ahead in, in coming weeks, but can I say something a little bit extra about Connor? I mean, we all we both of you and I thought when Connor Gallagher was going to be on this team, it was going to be in that advanced midfield role or possibly in that winger role, like he played at Crystal Palace. He has taken this role as a number eight incredibly with Caicedo. We didn't think he'd be the one building up the attack with Caicedo in a in a pivot situation like he is now with allowing Enzo to move up. None of us thought that. We all thought that he'd be in that number ten or drop down into that you know that that position right behind the striker, but he he's taken this role and he's gotten great training from Pochettino and has done so well in the midfield, and it's a lot of pressure for somebody that young to be wearing the captain's armband and doing what he's been doing with it. Yeah, he's going to make some mistakes. He's young. That's what young players do, right? But to take that initiative and to be you know to be press worthy both on the counter press and being able to build up as well is it's pretty hard for a midfielder at his age to be doing that at such, you know, a high level. And I want to like, I, I mean, I've, I've said this multiple times on previous podcasts, but I, I was proven wrong about him and I hope we don't sell him. Same. I echo everything you just said. I think he has limitations and I think that's fair enough. But I think the way that Pochettino is playing at the moment and with the amount of injuries that we have, it would be a act of vandalism from our owners if they decide to sell him in January. I think... If you're going to sell him, if you're going to, has to be at the end of the season. But that's a big if. I mean, imagine if there was VAR in this game yesterday. We lose Caicedo for three games. Direct red. Card, right? Yeah. The next three games, we'll be having no Caicedo. We don't know when Enzo's coming back. Who's our midfield? We, we, Lavia's still injured. Ugochuku's not there. Who would be in the midfield? Yeah. Just Connor. By himself. Yeah. It would be an How act of How awful would, have the, would the next three games be with only having one midfielder? It'd be terrible. And one thing about Connor Gallagher is he doesn't get injured. No. He's not injury late. He's never like, missed a game. He's, yeah, exactly. Injury. He Like, Caicedo's been nicked. Enzo's been nicked. Lavi obviously hasn't even gotten on the pitch yet. Ugochoku, we have no idea what happened to him, had a training knock or whatever. Connor Gallagher is consistent, and that's what you need in this Chelsea team right now, especially with the injury crisis we face. And I hope they don't sell him. Yeah, same. What are your thoughts on the manager? You know, he's getting a lot. Of, he got a lot of schlack in the, in the last couple games that we've lost, not the last two that, you know, that we won, but I thought it was probably one of a very good decision in terms of bringing in the changes he did at halftime. 
Yeah. You know, not just waiting for the 60th minute, but making the changes right away in the halftime. And he saw Enzo was was sick in the beginning. It was like, I'm not, I'm ready to make the change right away. I thought he was, I thought he did a very, very good job and I'd give him eight, eight out of 10. Yeah, I think he's learning. And what's really encouraging is that we've played two teams in the last few days who have played the te- two deepest low blocks against us. I think I've ever seen at Stamford Bridge, actually. And I would have to say Sheffield United showed more ambition than Newcastle did yesterday. I wanted to talk about Newcastle a bit because in particular, the commentary stateside from John Champion and ESPN in particular was just, I do not fucking know what they are watching or is their anti-Chelsea bias has reached such high levels that they're gaslighting us into thinking that something else is happening. Newcastle were absolutely atrocious yesterday. Absolutely atrocious yesterday. Not just in terms of their performance levels, but their intention. They're supposed to be, and I say in inverted commas, one of the best teams of the country at the moment. They are not. They are not. At home, they're fucking awful to play against. They are. Away from home, they're awful. And this is the thing. It's the excuses that people are giving them. It's just a different world. It's a different world. We have got considerably more injuries than they have. Okay, every team gets injuries. Let's use that as an excuse. But literally everyone has got, like, got a lot of injuries at the moment. Okay, you're not exceptional about that. They can't have it both ways. They can't be regarded as a big team and everything that comes along with it and then use it as an excuse. Part of the challenge of getting into the Champions League is maintaining your position once you're in it. And big teams like Chelsea, like Manchester City, and you have to say teams like Liverpool as well, balance it brilliantly when they're there. You don't win brilliantly all the time, but you manage to struggle through those moments. They have capitulated. In the Champions League, finished bottom of their group and somehow they're given us heroic status. Their fans consider themselves a big club. First of all, they're not. They're the biggest club in Newcastle. They are the biggest club in Newcastle. They have a big stadium. Whoopty fucking do. No one supports Newcastle outside of Newcastle. You are not a big club. Until you win a trophy, you are not a big club. They've never, never won anything. Fuck Newcastle. I'm loving it that they lost yesterday. So I have a question for you. You hear a lot of shit talking about the Carabao Cup. About it's, you know, it's, it's a Walmart Cup. Nobody cares about it. Why do people even play in it? It means nothing. It, you know, these other teams are, are getting balanced. They don't care about it. You're just It's adding more games to the schedule. Players are getting injured. It doesn't mean anything. Why do we have two semifinal legs? Why can't it just be one leg? There's no extra time. It goes straight to penalties. From your perspective, being in England, how important is the Carabao Cup to traditional Chelsea fans? As Chelsea fans, why do we watch Chelsea? We watch Chelsea to win trophies. That's what we've been brought up on. I think there's a complete misnomer about the League Cup and people think that it's not it's not worth anything, which is just completely incorrect. Every great Chelsea side has started by winning the League Cup. If you go back to the Mourinho days, that's where it all started. That winning culture has to develop from somewhere. You don't just pluck it out of thin air, especially with the young squad that we have. They have to learn how to win and the League Cup is so important for that. And I feel that if we don't have that much to play for this season... It has to be, this is the priority right now. We're not going to get relegated. It has to be to win a trophy. That's what we're about. That's what Chelsea are about. I think the other important thing is that it's also an avenue for us to get into Europe. And this is not the avenue that we traditionally get 
you know, to take. I mean, we'd want to be top five, top six or whatever. But, you know, with with the current injury crisis we've had and the points that we've dropped out this season, this may be the only way for us to get into Europe and through the Conference League. So I think that's another interesting and important reason why we need to get and fight for this title. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, we're not in familiar territory at the moment with this team. And it's this is what a rebuild is, right? And we have to start somewhere. And those building blocks do come. I think anyone who thinks that we can jump and stri- go straight back into the Champions League or even Europa League or challenge for the Premier League with, with the amount of change that we've had lives in Cloud Cuckoo land, personally, or Cloud Cuckarella land. And I, yeah, I just, I think, to me... You saw what it meant at Stamford Bridge last night and the fact that people are slating us for that. I'm sorry, the, the teams that slate the League Cup early on and say it's not important are just jealous. They are jealous because they want to be there. Why would... Like, Newcastle have never won a trophy. They've never won a trophy. So imagine getting to the final like they did last year and then lose. How de- like desperately sad and awful that must be and it's hilarious it's also important for Kepa he didn't want to come off the pitch you yeah, exactly. <laughs> he wanted to stay on it's like no I want to play for that, the that, was his, Cup. that was his World Cup final right exactly. there <laughs> exactly that's how important it is for Chelsea yeah, exactly. even Kepa didn't want to come off the pitch <laughs> yeah so I don't get it I, I find the criticism of it ridiculous and I actually think personally it's harder to win than the FA Cup because the FA Cup Literally every t- the ho- is, the way it's built is that any team in the any professional team in the, uh, potentially get in it. So some of the early rounds, you play non-league opposition a lot of the time, and it's just pathetic. With the League Cup, you'll maybe get an early, easy early game, but then you start playing Premier League teams. Like we beat Brighton two rounds ago, we beat Newcastle, and I know we've got Middlesbrough in the semi-final now, but it's likely that we're going to have to beat Liverpool in the final to to win it, and. That's not an easy thing to do. And I mentioned this to you earlier. We haven't won a domestic trophy since 2018. That's not good enough, Chelsea. We have to build. We have to win trophies. Otherwise, what's the point? You mentioned that we have a, we got drawn up with Middlesbrough home and away coming up. What are your earliest moments or memories of playing Middlesbrough? You know what? I remember it very vividly, the 1997 FA Cup final when Di Matteo scored after 42 seconds. We've had their number the entire time they really hate us I remember also we beat them in the League Cup in 1998 the season after as well and you know what they they got relegated that year that we beat them in the FA Cup final but they did have some great players they had this Brazilian guy called Janinho who was just one of the most majestic footballers you've ever seen and they made it tough and it's not an easy place to go but I think the second leg is at Stamford Bridge actually so I mean, they're flying high like in the that, championship. That, yeah. They're they're a good team, but you would have to think you do think we've got enough to get over the over the line against them. Yeah, I don't want to look ahead, but I think it could, the draw could have gotten better for us playing them in the semifinal and yeah. seeing Fulham and Liverpool on the other side. And it could be a Chelsea Liverpool again zero zero going to penalties cup final like we've done in the past. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't know if my heart's ready for it, but I don't think it will be nil nil this time if it goes to the final because yeah. I don't think either a team are good enough defensively like they were with us under Tuchel where we could just shut anyone out when we needed to and it's but also it, it's going to be interesting to see what what our injuries will be in, in the end of February if we do make it to the final will we get any of the fullbacks back will Chua be healthy enough to come back and play on the left fullback side will Cucurella's operation you know work out to where he can get training again Reese James we have no idea what the fuck's happening with no. Reese James he's going to get the surgery or not we have no idea I think we just don't even think about him right now no question for you as we look ahead to the game against Wolves on Christmas Eve, is last night the turning point? It's a difficult question to answer. 
I mean, my heart says yes, but my mind says no. And the only reason I say this is because in the last three or four weeks, we saw what we thought was going to be the turning point of our team, you know, playing well against Man City, which should have won against Arsenal. We thought that was a turning point. Then we went to the international break and we came back and we lost the first game. Beat Tottenham. We thought that was a turning point. Came back and lost. So I think for this team being so young, we don't know what the turning point is. We don't know if it's going to be tomorrow, next week, next month, or in two months. Because we talked about it, that it's all about stability and experience for this young team. Getting players back from injury is huge. Having Nkuku back on the pitch is huge. We need to make sure that we don't have any crazier injuries from now. Our midfield, what we thought was going to be a strength getting into this season, is right now running on edge with Enzo being hurt, with Gallagher and Caicedo, no telling if they're going to have a red card booking and be gone for three games, not knowing when Lavi is going to come back, not knowing when Ugachuk is going to come back. We're decimated on the full back line. So, yeah, we won yesterday, but I'm not quite convinced to say this is the turning point of our season because we have a congested fixture list coming up in December. And just like Chelsea last year and this year, when we're riding high, our wheels can be tripped right off and this, and this car can go straight into median man. This is what happens in this roller coaster of Chelsea of 2023. So my heart says, yeah, it's a turning point, but mine saying, no, it's not. Yeah, I think that's a sensible position to take. I think the game on Christmas Eve against Wolves at Molyneux is going to be a tough game. I would quite happily take a point against that team because I think Wolves are probably the most unlucky team in the Premier League. I think they're actually quite a decent side and they've just had no luck with VAR. Oh, they've been done under by VAR. Yeah. 100%. But they're not on a great run of form and hopefully this will be a psychological boost, but we never do well there. I can't remember the last time we won a game there. So maybe it was the the one where Tammy Abraham scored a hat-trick. I think that was probably the yeah, last victory. So that other game when Tuchel's first game out there, we drew with them. Yeah. I remember that was his first game It's there. a tricky place to go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would take a point. I'll take a nil-nil. It depends, like Pedro Neto, when he's healthy, he always finds a way of bagging a goal against us over there. So we'll see. What do you think is going to happen? I think we're going to win 2-1. I think so. Yeah, I think we're going to win. I think we're riding really high with this emotion, Um, getting Nkuku back, you know, getting our midfield hopefully back. Maybe we don't know what's going to happen with Enzo, that athletic pubalage, or if he's sick from some sort of virus. I mean, he came off the pitch crying, so we have no idea what's going to happen with him or what's going on with him. But having Gusto back in the in the thick of things and then having options of Ian Matz in a left fullback position, we don't know what Colo's injury is going to be. Maybe he was sick also. Yeah. Maybe it was a musculoskeletal or whatnot. But I still think this Chelsea team is lining up for a good run coming up in the December fixture. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Again, thank you listeners for tuning in every single week to listening to Simon and I rant about Chelsea. And also, if you haven't already, please do follow us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. That's C-A-T-W podcast, C-A-T-W podcast. And if you have any comments, questions, or any suggestions for future content, or if you'd like to be on the show, please email us at podcast, C-A-T-W at gmail.com, podcast, C-A-T-W at gmail.com. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, yeah, we're buzzing from the game last night, and hopefully this is a, a, an important stepping stone for this team. Please do give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. We were trying to get to as many people as we possibly can. And uh, we'll be back again for a a debrief of the Wolves game on Christmas Eve after the Christmas holidays. So we want to wish all of our listeners a happy holidays and Merry Christmas wherever you're celebrating around the world. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much.